0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by youth and young adults minister, Kirk McKenzie. It's our third in our series on Jesus and the Spirit, so that's what I'm going to be talking about tonight and finishing off the series, as well as Q&A um, from you guys later on in the service, you can ask questions about anything we've talked about in the last three weeks. I was reflecting on my childhood uh, recently, and, and one of the things that I learnt when I was growing up was that you can't always trust adults. Uh, adults don't always tell you the truth. And um, I just need a volunteer here who's a mum. Can I just have a mum come and stand up? You don't have to do anything, you just have to... Uh, come and stand on the stage for me. Margaret, come Mar- come on up. So one of the things that mums might have told you when you were growing up was that they have eyes where? In the back of their head. So we're just going to test this out right now. So Margaret, if you can just face forward and please tell me how many fingers am I holding up? So- oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> here we go, here we go, here we go. All right. You've lied to us, mums. You've lied. You don't have eyes in the back of your head. You just had a lucky guess the first time. You've been lied to us our entire childhood. But you're a lovely person. Thank you for helping out. Um, so this is what adults do. They lie to you. I got told when I was pulling a funny face, and it was a hilarious face. That's why you call it a funny face because it's funny. Uh, and but for some reason, adults didn't like that, and they'd say something to you. They'd lie to you by saying if the wind changes while you're pulling that face, you'll stay that way forever. Has uh, ever happened to anyone? Ever? It's a lie. Adults lie to us. Um, but then more seriously, this is much more seriously, uh, I think we quickly pick up that those are lies, right? But then uh, when sort of famous leaders and powerful people get caught lying, that and that can, that can be sort of more disturbing, I think, and sort of shake our trust in adults. So one that stood out to me in high school uh, was something that Bill Clinton, the President of the United States, said. Now, I'm just going to pick on him. Plenty of politicians over the years have lied to the people, uh, but I guess he's the most... Yeah, you know, he's the President of the m- most powerful country in the world. So Bill Clinton got accused of having an affair with um, someone in his, in his office... Uh, you know, he was married, but you know, he'd had sex with somebody else. And it became a big thing, and it became bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually he sort of got put into this official interview, which was filmed and so on. And he said the line, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. So he said this very clearly. This is the truth, America. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Thing is, He did. He did. And so it came out later and sort of eventually he admitted admitted that he did. But the way he got around it, the way he said, no, I I did tell the truth, I didn't lie, was he said, well, I have this definition of the word sexual relations which includes these sort of sexual relations, but not that one that we did. Uh, And everyone else went... Seriously, dude? <laughs> Everyone else considers that sexual relations, except you. But he lied about it, this huge controversial thing, leader of the most powerful country in the world, and he lied you know, on camera and everything, right? So, who do we trust? And then, of course, plenty of leaders have done this, plenty of powerful people have lied for whatever reason, to protect their reputation, or to protect their business, and so on. And so, I would understand, if you're a young person here today, that you might go, you know, I'm not sure whether I can actually trust adults and what they say. It seems like it's hard to trust people these days. When are they actually telling the truth? Now, if you've been with us for the series so far, you'll know that um, truth is a big theme in uh, this section of the Bible that we're looking at. Uh, If you've missed it, we do podcast our talks, so you can jump on the internet and catch up on the last two. But we're looking at this section in the book of John which is mainly words about words from Jesus. So the vast majority of words written down between chapter 13 and chapter 17 is Jesus speaking to his 12 disciples, his closest friends. And so in verse 14, Jesus uh, sorry, chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus says the famous line, I am the way, the truth and the life. So he's not just claiming to have a bit of truth or to be a bringer of truth. He claims to be the truth. And then three times Jesus makes a reference to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and he refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth once in each chapter. So chapter 14, verse 17, chapter 15, verse 26, and chapter 16, verse 13, he refers to the Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And in chapter 14, verse 26, have a look at that with me, he connects himself and the Spirit together, where he says, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, so the Advocate's a nickname for the Holy Spirit, effectively, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus is about the truth, and the Holy Spirit is about the truth, and they're about the same truth. So it's not like Jesus came to earth as a man and preached some truth and then the Holy Spirit came and started t- telling some different truths, alternate facts or whatever. It doesn't work that way. That actually the Spirit's job is to continue telling us the truth that Jesus brought in the first place. So they're very deeply connected. Uh, generally, the Spirit and, the, and, and Jesus are very connected and particularly around this I- idea of truth. Now we talked about this last week, Sam when he preached talked about Jesus being the source of truth. What I want to do today is talk about how that actually impacts the day-to-day living of our lives. Christians are sometimes referred to as people of the truth, sort of this name that got picked up over the years. And um, this is what I really want to think about, like how can you, how can we build our life and make decisions based on the truth that God gives us. This will always be a relevant topic for anyone who's taking Christianity seriously, but I think particularly at this time uh, of history and in the place that we live in, because I would say that truth in our culture is at a bit of a crisis point. As I said, it's hard to trust adults, um, but then I think just with the way communication's going and all this communication we can hear mainly through the internet, uh, is that again, it's even harder to work out what's true. And most of the people who are sending us messages have some sort of motivation behind it. It's not necessarily an evil motivation, but there's some sort of bias. So companies want your money. So they'll say, this is true, but deep down, the reason they're telling you that's true is because they want your money. Or people might want you to follow them they might want your praise or your admiration or to, you to follow them or something on social media or something and so they want that from you as well. so they'll give you the truth from that perspective. Or maybe just friends or people um, have relational needs that they want to get from you you know so you'll fulfill some sort of intimacy need for them or um, help make them more popular or something. And so again it's like okay what what's actually true? What are people saying about life? that we can actually go, that's definitely true and I can build my life on that. And that's really tricky. Then we've got to throw in this idea of subjective truth. Um, so this is where truth varies from subject to subject, meaning varied vary from person to person. Let me give you a couple of simple uh, examples that demonstrate this. Who here believes that the statement, dogs are better than cats, is true? Hands up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we got a boo. All right. So lots of, people would, you know, lots of people would say, yes, dogs are better than cats, but some people would disagree. I'm sure. Anyone think cats are better than dogs? Yeah, there we go. So um, there's some numbers as well. And then other people wouldn't really care. What about this? Um, chocolate ice cream is better than strawberry ice cream. Who's with me? Trick tricked you. I actually prefer strawberry. But um, <laughs> here's the thing. Your preferences with these sort of simple things and what you believe to be true, um, it's very much down to your individual experience of life so far. So your taste buds and, uh, you know, maybe you've had had positive experience with dogs and not with cats or vice versa or whatever. So actually, in that sense, subjective truth is, is a thing in the sense that what can be true, what is true can vary from person to person. And that is a reality... And there's no criticism there because you can only base what you believe to be true on your experience of life so far. You can't have my experience of life, I can't have yours. So there will be some differences there, um, often fairly subtle, but they'll be there. The problem with subjective truth is if you take it too far, it gets really annoying and is completely useless for making decisions in life. Because you get to the point where you go, but when can we actually agree on something? Okay, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter whether strawberry's better or chocolate's better, but can we at least agree it's ice cream and not dirt? Do you see what I mean? Like at some point we want everybody to sort of agree on something so that we can all say we all hold this as true because we want some sort of solid foundation to build our life on and yet our culture loves subjective truth and loves using subjective, subjective truth to try and manipulate different things to happen. Um, One of the worst users of subjective truth or, like, uh, exploiters of subjective truth is Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars movies. Now, I'm going to blow a key plot point in the original Star Wars trilogy right now. So, um, look, you've had three decades to watch it, so I I think you'll be all right. Okay, so, original movie episode four for some stupid reason, but the original movie, the first movie to come out, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the wise Jedi master, and he takes on his apprentice, the farm boy, Luke Skywalker, and he's going to guide him and teach him, and, and he's Obi-Wan's set up as this mentor character, and then Luke, who's never known his father, knows that Obi-Wan did know his father, and so he asks him about him, what happened to my dad? And Obi-Wan says to him, well, he was murdered by Darth Vader, who's like the big villain in Star Wars. And Luke's sad about that. He's like, I'm to get Darth Vader for that. Darth. And then you get to the second movie and a big reveal happens when Luke confronts Darth Vader. You killed my father. And he's told, no, Darth Vader says, no, I didn't kill your father. I am your father. One of the great movie twists of all time devastates Luke. He's, he's stunned by it. Oh, he throws himself into a giant pit, somehow survives. And then we come to the third movie, Return of the Jedi, and Luke gets to meet up with Obi-Wan Kenobi in ghost form. Star Wars is ridiculous when you say it out loud. But anyway, <laughs> so Obi-Wan Kenobi um, and Luke gets to confront him. And if our computer is now working, we're going to watch the, the conversation they have uh, to uh, see what Obi- Obi-Wan says in response. True from a certain point of view. No, dude, you lied. <laughs> you just lied. <laughs> you know, you didn't want him to know, so you lied to him instead of telling the truth. But this truth from a certain point of view has become very popular, and now it allow it's basically an excuse for lying. And, and people go, oh, subjective truth, what's true for you, is not true for me, and vice versa. So I can just make up rubbish and claim that it's true and you've just got to put up with it because, you know, all truth is subjective. I'm disagreeing with that, by the way. Um, so it's a, it's, we get in this, this strange situation and it's just com- completely unhelpful for this to be the case. Now, people are catching on. So I was trying to find this clip on YouTube so I didn't have to rip it off the DVD myself. I thought, it's a famous line, it'll probably be there. And a bunch of people have put this clip on YouTube but they've been splicing in, instead of saying truth from a certain point of view, they're splicing in other stuff. So they'll be like, so what I told you was actually fake news. Or, you know, what I told you was actually truth, uh, was actually um, uh, alternate facts. Uh, and then this clip, which I just edited to the end off, he says, um, you know, uh, truth from an alternate, uh, from a certain point of view. And then it just cuts to Arnold Schwarzenegger loading a <laughs> shotgun and going, wrong. Like that. <laughs> so as much as, as much as this is a problem in our culture, as much as the idea of truth is very shaky and it's hard to trust people who claim to have the truth, I also think there's a great thing going on in our culture where people have a thirst for something that is, is actually true and have a thirst for things we can actually put our trust in and build our, and build our lives on, put faith in, uh, and people really want that and are seeking it. The problem is, we're seeking that like we're seeking water in a drought. There's not much of it there. It's hard to find. So, this is a very compelling reason as to why we need God's truth. Have a look at chapter 16 from our passage today and verse 13, probably the key verse from today's reading. Again, it's Jesus speaking, and he says, uh, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So it is the role of God's Spirit to guide us into all the truth. And it's important that the Spirit is God and is from God because God is different to people and He's not biased. Okay, He's not part of a political party. He doesn't lean left or right on issues. And His truth is not subjective because His experience is not limited. This is just logical, right? If God is... I mean, you, we can debate whether God exists and so on, but assuming that he does and that he's all-powerful, he knows everything, he sees everything, he's experienced everything every human being has ever experienced. And so it's only God who can give us actual, completely unbiased truth. Uh, and that's, that's a very valuable thing, and that's a reason we would turn to him. Um, and also, God doesn't need anything from us doesn't need our money, uh, he doesn't need our praise and our friendship and so on. He does want relationship with us, he does want our love, but he doesn't need it. If he didn't get it, he'd be fine, he'd be perfectly okay. Um, it's not a needy thing for him. So he is this great source of truth and through his spirit he wants to share it with us. Now, when Jesus says the spirit's going to uh, guide us into all the truth, what's he actually talking about there? And this is one of the challenges of reading a passage just in isolation, as you might go, does this mean he's going to tell us whether dinosaurs had feathers or scales? Like, is he going to answer that question? Um, or, you know, what keeps the clouds up or, or that sort of thing? Because you can learn some truth about that sort of thing. Um, but it's set in the context of this whole conversation Jesus is having. And if we think about what Jesus has been saying there, he's been claiming that he is the truth. And the type of truth he's been talking about is relational truth. The truth about how to have a relationship with God, how to have a loving relationship with other people. And so the Spirit is going to bring us into all the truth to do with relationship and to do with how to, to live in relationship in, in life. Um, as Christians, we believe that relationships are the most important thing in life. If you want to have you want to be good in one area, you want to be good in your in relationships. And so this is the truth that the Spirit brings to us. Um, I don't want to be dissing other types of truth. So I'm not saying like, you know, do a scientific experiment and learn something true from that. I'm not saying that's worthless. I'm not saying research isn't valuable. Uh, I'm not saying that Uh, you know, media investigations and and uncovering police investigations and so on. They can uncover um, truth and facts and so on. That can be very valuable. So please don't hear me talking those things down. But if the purpose of life is to be in good relationship, the most important thing is to have the truth about how to do those relationships, and that's what God provides. It makes sense when we think about God being one and three, Uh, this idea of the trinity I'm not going to talk about that in a lot of detail because I did do that two weeks ago, and you can listen to that. But this idea that we believe in one God, uh, but he's expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you'll see that in the prayers we say together in church, that we refer to God in these ways, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what it also means is God is in himself relational. You know, His very nature is that he is in relationship with himself. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have a great relationship. And so it then makes sense that if God's in his very nature relational, that he would be able to extend that to us and give us the truth we need to do that well. So I do think people are after the truth. I do think a lot of people, particularly young people, we want to trust what people say. We want to read something and be able to have some faith in it. But it is hard, isn't it? I mean, hopefully I'm not insulting your intelligence by letting you know that the internet's a really unreliable source of information. Like, there is truth out there, and there's a whole lot of rubbish as well. And how do you filter it? Like, that's one of the challenges of our age, I think, is like actually going, we've got more information than we've ever had. How do we filter that into something that's actually going to be useful in life? And so God will help us cut through all that, help us to not just follow the crowd and do what what everyone else is doing, but to tap into the source of all truth, Jesus, who's who's giving it away for free, Um, and and doing that both through the Bible, where we've got God's words written down for us, um, and particularly the words of of Jesus, and and all the preparation for Jesus' coming is in the Bible. And then we've got the Spirit who um, uses that and, and adds to that and guides us in understanding that more deeply. What I wanted to do is to talk practically about ways the Spirit helps us to know the truth and to make decisions based on that truth. I'm going to base it off three sentences in today's passage. The first sentence is in, chapter tw- is in verse 12 of chapter 16, where Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So he's talking to his friends, talking to his 12 disciples. He's laying some pretty heavy news on them. He's been talking about how he's going to die, he's going to rise again, he's going to leave. Um, They're talking about big topics. And right here, there's this nice little relational moment between Jesus and his disciples, where he's like, I want to tell you more. I want to just load you up all the truth, but I'm going to go at your pace. I'm not going to give it all your now. It's going to be too much for you. And so, like, we're going to stagger this out and you're going to learn it as you go. Um, Personally, I believe that's the way God works with us as well, not just with his 12 disciples, that he'll take it at the pace that we can manage. Uh, So, for this reason, you know, if you're considering becoming a Christian, now this is something you're investigating, I have heard people say, but I just really need to answer all my questions. And then I'll be able to. Into that relationship with Jesus? Well, you will never answer all your questions. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Um, but God will reveal to you what you need to know uh, at the pace that you need to receive it. And likewise, you don't have to correct all your, your behaviour to be perfectly in line with what God wants. Again, even people have been Christians for a long time are still working on that. So it's not about getting perfect and then becoming a Christian. Uh, It's about starting that relationship and then God will work with you at the pace that works for you. Uh, The the pace that you need, anyway. Second sentence, verse 13. We've already read this one. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. I like the word guide in there. I found it helpful to picture this in my mind. Um, A number of years ago, I went to Egypt. And they've got lots of ruins there, you know, old tombs and t- pyramids and all that sort of stuff. And you can walk around, and you can learn a little bit from just looking at it. What is picture writing called? Hieroglyphics. Is that the Egyptian writing? So, so, and so you can look at that, and you can go, oh, that's cool, hieroglyphics. But you don't know what it means. Like, there's all these stories on the walls there. And so, because I'm really tight, um, we never like hired a, a guide. to to help us or show us around or anything. Uh, we just wander around and try and sort of work it out ourselves. But the people who had a good guide with them got such a better experience of walking around those ruins and learning about the history because the guide could read the hieroglyphics, could tell you the history, set the scene for you, who are the people that were involved and all this sort of stuff. And so having a guide was way more useful in learning about that thing that happened a long time ago. Uh, than if you've got no one to guide you. If you've got no one to give you the prompts you need and say, let's go here next and here's the information you need to understand this. But it's the Holy Spirit's job to guide us into all the truth that God wants to give us. And I like that idea of that tour guide, just helping us and showing us what we need at the right moments and taking us through. What it also, I think, shows us is that um, it's not like Oh no, I'll come to that in a moment, I'll come to that in a moment. So there's the idea of the Spirit guiding us into all truth. Then the last sentence I want to focus on is the second half of verse 13. Jesus says, he will not speak. So he's talking about the Spirit. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now again, this is reminding us that the Spirit is not some separate spooky ghost from Jesus. It's not like the Spirit comes in and goes, well, Jesus told you this, but really the secret information is this. The Spirit um, is from Jesus. He speaks what he hears. uh, And let's think about that for a moment. Lots of people are a bit scared of the Spirit. There's a fear of the Spirit working in their life in one way or another. Uh, I certainly have had that at times in my life. But the thing that helped me to overcome that fear was to realise just how integrated the Spirit and Jesus are. Because if we think about Jesus, he's the one who died for us because he loves us. He loves us so much. And he wanted our sin and, and all our evil to be dealt with. So he sacrificed himself so that could be happening. He's the one who brings us that spiritual freedom so we can have a relationship with God. He's the one who wants us to have all these great loving relationships with other people. He's the one who blesses us in that way. He's the one who sent the Spirit. Sometimes we think of truth as something that we can use like a, like a whip, like a slave driver using a whip. You know, you got that wrong. Whoosh! Take some truth. Sort yourself out. You know, oh, that's a dumb question. Here's some truth to show you shouldn't have even asked it. Yeah, and we actually think of truth like that. But when we put the truth in the perspective of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and that He's the one, He's the source of truth, and He sends the Spirit to continue that truth, we don't think of truth like that. We have truth and grace together. Grace is this idea of an undeserved loving gift. So God gives us, He's the ultimate giver of grace. We don't deserve to have God's love, but we have it anyway. And so Jesus ultimately is the bringer of grace and truth. In fact, in the first chapter of the book of John, uh, Jesus is described as um, coming in grace and truth. So when we have that, then we're not sort of getting beaten down by the truth. It's a very different sort of experience. And yeah, you'll read the Bible and you'll be challenged by things, absolutely. But it won't be a case of like, oh, I might have this wrong or I might be behaving a way God doesn't want me to, therefore he hates me. It'll be, well, I know God loves me, so how am I going to work with him to change my mind on this or to change my actions on this? Very different way of thinking about it. Truth and grace are so important to come together. If all you have is truth... And all you care is about getting the facts right and getting the, the theology exactly correct and all that sort of thing, then your risk is you become harsh. You become a sort of mean spirited Christian who is quite judgmental of others and is just all about sort of, you know, getting the right answer. Um, but then if all you have is grace and it's just all about forgiving people and loving and so on, and you never correct anything that you think is wrong or challenge any, any bad behaviour or something, then it sort of leads to chaos and people using each other and sin just starting to run rampant. But when you put them together and truth is always delivered with grace and grace is always delivered with truth, then that's that's what we're aiming for, both in both individually and as a church community. The Bible delivers us truth and grace. The Spirit helps us to understand that and apply it in the different areas of life. Because here's the thing, right? The Bible's not going to tell us exactly how to respond in every situation. I'm just going to finish with a a bit of an example on how this works. I'm going to use the issue of pornography as an example. Because I have heard, particularly in this congregation, so this is just for regulars, but I do find that sometimes what we do is we've got a question about a, a more modern issue and we go, oh, I wonder what the Christian response to that is. Quick quick glance, it uh, doesn't seem to be mentioned. I'll just follow the crowd. I'll just do what everyone else is doing. Well, there's some weird bit in here, but it seems pretty old. It's probably just too old. I'll just ignore it. And so actually what we're not doing there is seeking God's truth. We're just trying to make God sort of support our own truth, and that's a dangerous thing. Um, so let's take the, uh, the, the issue of pornography. Uh, I guess technically pornography would have existed in Jesus' time in sort of illustrated form. But since the the invention of video and then the internet, it's just gone to this whole other level. So understandably, Christians go, well, what's our response to this? What's a Christian ethic when it comes to pornography? And you read through the entire Bible and you go, pornography is not mentioned once. Some issues, this is mentioned. Like some questions you'll have and you'll go, oh, I wonder what the Bible's got to say. You'll find a passage that deals with it directly, tells you exactly what to believe and exactly how to live, and you can just go, great, I'll just put that into practice. But sometimes that doesn't happen. doesn't happen with pornography. So what do you go? You just go, oh, I'll just do what feels best, just follow my desires. Well, no, we actually go, no, we're going to trust that the Spirit's going to lead us into all truth. He's given us God's Word, so we delve a bit deeper. And we actually go, well, what are what are the connected issues here, issues of how we um, behave sexually, what we um, should do sexually and what we shouldn't do, um, the way we treat other people, um, what do we sort of look at, what do we allow to come into our minds and into our hearts, um, what do we allow to shape our thinking and so on. And then you might even learn a little bit about the pornography industry and go, actually, a lot of the people in that industry are quite poor and they're sort of used by the industry and um, manipulated and they're often not very educated and sort of they're quite almost victims well, some of them are, definitely. And you might go, oh... And then you look at the way the Bible teaches us on that and um, you go, oh, that's, that's not great and Jesus certainly seen, would have wanted to be on their side and helping them out of that situation. And so every... I've talked to you know, lots of people um, who have looked at pornography from, a, pornography from a Christian point of view and every single one of them has come to the conclusion that it's no good. It's not something we want in our lives. It's not something we want to be watching and actually, it's something we should act actively speak against because of the way it oppresses people and the way it misrepresents sexual relationships in a way that God doesn't want us to be doing it. But it takes time to get there. It takes prayer. It takes self-reflection. Particularly for someone who's watched pornography or might even be addicted to pornography, there'll be the fact that, well, you might be intellectually learning things, but you still need help to actually put that into practice. That's where you can turn to the Spirit, ask for God's help get the strength that you need, ask people to pray for you um, it's a spiritual thing as well as just an intellectual thing. You guys know this don't you? You can think one thing it doesn't necessarily affect, translate into changing your emotions or your actions there's more going on than that and so the spirit helps us to do that. I hope that example helps you. Um, some, I say some issues I, I don't have as clear answer on that you know when we did our issue on uh, we had our young adults night on women in leadership, Um, uh, about a month ago, there was two sort of camps that people could go in and we did agree that whilst our church goes in one particular direction, that we did believe people could be genuine Christians and disagree with us. So there are some issues that are are, are less clear than others and some that you're going to have to continue to work on and reflect on as you go through your life. But um, just because it's a bit unclear or it's a bit grey doesn't mean we do our very best to move into all that truth and to ask God to reveal it to us. I want to finish by praying for us. It's going to be a pretty simple prayer. It's going to ask the Spirit to guide us into all the truth that God's got for us. If you're a Christian, I guess that means that you'll be seeking to be further transformed by God's truth you know, continue to become more like Jesus in the way you live and the way you think. If you're not a Christian, I'm basically going to be asking that God would reveal himself to you and show you something that is true about himself. I won't talk much in this prayer. I'll leave a bit of fair, fair bit of silence. So I encourage you just to um, sit with that and see if God's got something to show you tonight. Holy Spirit, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you guide us into all truth. We thank you for the Bible where your truth is written down. We thank you for your spirit who takes that and runs with it. And we invite you to do that right now, right here with us. Please could you be showing us something that is true from you. Something about yourself or something about where our lives are at right now. I ask that through your spirit, you do a minor miracle here as we sit here in Diamond Creek and show us something true. Jesus, we thank you for your love and your, your grace and your truth. Thank you for proving the depth of your love with your death and resurrection. I pray now that you would fill each of us with your spirit so that we can know that love in amazing ways.